Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Hey, we in a three-week preach series titled Planting, and the reason we decided to do this preach series before we transition into our fall preaching series, which will go for a few months, is uh, because we are a church plant. If you're new to Light Church or particularly Light Church downtown, uh, we are approaching being one year old. So we are very much still a new young church that are uh, discovering who God has called us to be in downtown San Diego. And what we wanted to do is just take a three-week period to just highlight some kind of fundamental values of who we are as a church so that if Light Church is your home or if you're looking at joining Light Church and making this your home uh, going forward, your home community, your home church, that you would know, yes, we belong to the great global gospel story and the grand narrative of what Jesus is doing in and through his church around the world. But there are distinctives to uh, and specifics that each church uh, holds to, our unique lampstand. And that's what we're doing uh, last week, well, the week before last, because we had this hurricane, right? And um, which was more like a drizzle. But uh, we, we started with our first message two weeks back today and next Sunday as we'll be looking at this series on planting. But I'm going to invite you to stand as we open up the scriptures together this morning, just in reverence for God's word. We're going to turn to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 10, and we'll jump to verse 16. Um, this is God's word. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Friends, church or the church is not a building. It's never been about a building. Church is not an event we attend on a Sunday. Church is not an organization or a formal institution. The church, or in Greek this word, the ecclesia, is a grouping of individual disciples who are together in unity, committed to loving service of each other and the Lord, and then sent out on mission by God the Father himself. That's the church. That means that you and me, not on our own, not a building, but you and me, not an event, not an organization, but you and me, when we come together in unity, committed to loving service of each other and service to the Lord, as we are sent out on mission, we are the church. We are the church. We are sent out on a mission, not our mission, but God's mission. So what is God's mission? God's mission, as we see throughout the scriptures, is simply to seek and to save the lost. That's the mission of the Lord. And so when you and I come together in unity around active service of each other and the Lord, and we go out on mission to seek and save the lost, we are the church. But how does God do that? Well, God establishes or he plants churches like ours, communities like us, and he sets us up in geographical locations all over the world 
for us it happens to be downtown San Diego, as outposts or lampstands of his kingdom work on mission to reach and to save the lost. What's important in that statement is to know that God himself establishes. He establishes. He plants churches. It is his work. The local church is God's idea. Light Church downtown, Light Church in Sanitas, West Point Church in South Africa, the church that Caitlin and I planted, no, that God planted six, seven years ago. These, are, these churches are God's idea. Light Church, this church that we are part of today, this is God's plan. And so when you and I, when we join in Light Church, in fact, better language would be when we partner together with the Lord and each other, to be part of this church, this local church, we are in fact joining in with God, with his ideas, his plans, and his purposes in this geographical location as we commit ourselves to each other, his service, and we are sent out on mission in the world around us. So we're not joining clever human ideas. We're not joining a new event. We are not joining a fun club or a cool new thing in town. We are joining in with the Lord as he establishes and plants this church in this city, not only for our generation, but for generations to come. So God is building his church for his mission to seek and save the lost, and we are simply joining in with the Lord and his plans, his purposes, his desires for our city and the world by being part of this community and joining in with his redemptive plan for all of creation that has been spanning 2,000 years. That's the story we're part of. You can be part of this church for the next five months. You could be part of this church for the next five years as you go through your degree and it takes five years because, you know, San Diego and there's lots of stuff to do here. Or it could be for the next 50 years. However long you're part of this church, you're joining in with the mission that God has placed on us as a community to love and serve each other in active service of him as we are sent out into our city to be on mission to seek and save the lost. And so we are joining in. This is the story, friends. Our lives are never about ourselves. If you live your life for yourself and your own plans, your own pleasures and own desires, it will end up being a unfulfilled life. We are living for something that is so much bigger than ourselves, something that is also so much bigger than just our local community. We are joining in, I want you to hear this, we are joining in with a 2,000 plus year old story of redemption to save all of humanity, to experience intimacy and relationship with the Lord of Lords and King of Kings in heaven, we're part of his plan. We're part of his purpose. I used to love um, track and field. That was like, soccer was my main thing, but um, I was pretty fast. So I got to do uh, a lot of track and field stuff uh, at school. And my favorite race was the 100 meter race. And uh, I really enjoyed that. I, I love like fast kind of uh, sprints. And uh, on top of that, my, my ultimate favorite race was actually the 100 meter relay race. I love being part of a team. And the picture I get of the local church is that we're, we're actually part of a relay race. Imagine us being in an Olympic stadium and uh, we're, we're, we're part of this running race, right? And the early prophets and apostles, they started off as Jesus commissioned them and the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and they started the first church in the book of Acts. 
What happens is the gun goes off and, and Jesus says, go. And the, and the early church starts the race. And then they hand the baton over to the next generation and they keep running the race. And then the next generation takes over from them as, and builds on the momentum, right? You don't start the 100 meter race standing flat footed. You kind of go and you take the momentum from the generation before you and you go and you wanna hand over the baton to the next generation. And what we're doing in this moment in 2023 in San Diego is we're grabbing the baton from the generation that has gone before us and it's our turn to run the race. And we've got to run, and we've got to run hard, and we've got to run fast, and we've got to go for it. Because one day we're going to hand the baton over to the next generation who are sitting in that room right now and being trained as disciples of Jesus. And they're going to grab the baton from us, and they're going to plant churches. And the world is going to be changed as they move to other nations and other cities around our nation and go to the ends of the earth to plant churches. As Caitlin and I got on a plane a few months ago in December 2022, after having planted a church in South Africa, came to San Diego to plant a church. And, and as uh, Jonathan got on a plane 15 years ago and came from Colombia and, and is part of this community right now, and, and uh, Rose and Chris are going on a plane in a few months' time to go back to Australia to go be part of a local community there, God is doing a gospel work of redemption around the globe, and it is our moment to be part of what he's doing in this city in this day today. That's our story. So we, we're not doing something that's just in and of ourselves. This is part of God's great gospel narrative story spanning generations and millennium. We are trusted stewards. Hear this, you are a trusted steward of God's church. And one day we're gonna hand this great grand gospel story over to the next generation. And this big great gospel narrative that plays out over the course of human history is a story that we get to be a part of today. We might be turning one year old as a community soon, but we're not one years old. We're part of a story that spans 2,000 years old. That's our story. So if you're here in this moment at this time, I wanna tell you that you're also not here by accident. If Light Church is your home church, if you're looking at joining us and God's stirring something in your heart to make this your community, God has divinely anointed and appointed you for this particular moment in human history and he calls you, I believe, to bring your time, your talents and your treasures to lovingly serve him, to serve everyone else in this room and to be on mission in this city at this moment in human history. Now, one of the things that we can't get away from is that God has called you and he has called me and he's entrusted us in this moment. Think about this, think about the, the significance of this. God, who has arranged all of human history, has plotted out the, his plans and purposes across all generations. He has determined the exact place and time that you and I should live. And when he's mapping out the destiny of not only our lives, but all of redemptive history and the future of San Diego, he says, you here in this church at this moment, for however long that might be now, Let's go build Light Church. We are the people that God has entrusted with this local community more than any, he trusts us more than any other saints in all of human history to be part of this community now. In San Diego, to establish his kingdom. So God trusts you. And he trusts me and he, uh, to, to, with the establishment of his kingdom here in San Diego as it is in heaven. And he's uniquely gifted, each one of us, your personality, your treasures, your gifts, your introvertedness, your extrovertedness, your intelligence, your time, your capacity, 
your kids, your singleness, your married life, your experience of age, whatever you bring to the table, God has uniquely gifted and anointed that thing in you to bring to this family so that the Christmas table of believers looks diverse and unique and special because he needs each and every one of us to bring what we got so we can reach the city. This is why he plants churches so that you and I can get on mission. And so you are chosen, you are gifted, and you are needed. And I want to tell you, you are a church planter. If you're part of this church, you're a church planter. We're planting an outpost of God's kingdom. And as church planters, we're called to live as kingdom citizens. What does that mean? It means that our togetherness needs to look like heaven. We're establishing his kingdom come on earth. When we come together, it needs to smell and taste and feel like heaven on earth. Our togetherness needs to look and taste and smell and feel like I am in the presence of kingdom citizens. How do we love one another? How do we serve one another? What does mission look like together? Through beauty and art, ingenuity, joy and celebration, love and care and kindness, entrepreneurship, evangelism, these things need to be birthed out of our community as expressions of God's kingdom here on earth. When we come together on a Sunday or on our open tables during the week or whether it be social events or something that's completely unrelated to the organized kind of activity of our togetherness. Maybe it's getting together on campus at Point Loma or SDSU or our meeting parents that are part of this community in the car park on our way to dropping our kids at school or bumping into each other at Bird Rock during the week or whatever it looks like, doing shopping at Trader Joe's and seeing someone else from Light Church. When our interactions take place as a community, it needs to feel like heaven is breaking in to earth. And we're establishing outposts of God's kingdom culture wherever we go. This is the story that we're invited into, friends. As individuals, yes, but as a local church plant community to love and serve one another. It cannot and will not ever be about a building, an event, or a meeting. A few of the things that make us unique as Light Church. That's the, that's the global, every church should hold true to what I've just said. But things that make us unique as Light Church, our unique lampstand that we feel like God's placed on us is to value six things, community and contribution. If you weren't here two weeks ago, Mark Slomka, who's like a dad in the life of our church, shared what I believe to be the best message I've personally ever heard on community. I just highly recommend that you go and listen to that. But he spoke about the importance of coming together and the reason we value community. And what we do is as recipients of community and then spoke about contribution. How do we contribute to this local church? Next week, we're gonna talk about creativity and compassion. How do we reach those in the city around us, both those that are poor in spirit and also poor economically, not only in our city, but beyond as well. But today, we're gonna to look at conviction and communion. We want to, in a culture of compromise, we want to be a community of conviction. What does it mean to be a community of conviction and a community of communion? Well, if we look at conviction, what does this mean? It's a firmly held belief or an opinion. For us, it's an opinion or a belief, rather, around the way of Jesus. We also want to be a community of communion. 
That means that word communion means the sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. And for us, that's with each other and with the Lord. And so we want to be convicted in what we believe about the way of Jesus and stand firm in that. And that will lead us into being enjoying one another's connection, but most importantly, enjoying communion and intimacy with the Father. So let's unpack that briefly this morning. We want to have a commitment to ancient orthodoxy. We, we are a church that is committed to the way of Jesus that is found and laid out for us in black and white in the scriptures. We are a church that believes in the authority of the Bible. And we believe that commitment to ancient orthodoxy that is found in the scriptures leads us to a life of communion with the Lord. And communion with the Lord is always our ultimate goal. So while we remain committed to the ways of Jesus and the teachings of our Father in the Scriptures, the Scriptures are a means unto an end. And the end is relationship and intimacy with Jesus. And so we at Light Church are a community who are committed to the teachings of Jesus found in the Bible. If it's here, we believe it. Full stop. We hold true to these ancient truths, allowing them to shape our character into the image of Jesus as we engage in the process of transformation as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we follow the example that Jesus set for us while he was on earth for Christian living and for Christian practice. So we committed to the truths that Jesus spoke about and that are recorded about here in Scripture. In a culture of compromise, in every sphere of society, we want to stand firm in deep theological conviction and submission to the Bible as ultimate truth. And so whatever you hear us teach here at Light Church, it's going to be rooted and founded in the Scriptures. Not only as head knowledge, but something that roots itself deep in our hearts and something that we endeavor to practice out in everyday faithful living. And this commitment to conviction is not for the sake of religion. It's not for the sake of achievement or piety. It's not for the sake of performance or for egotistical thinking. This conviction is a means to an end, and the end is communion with Jesus Christ himself. Corey Russell says this, and I love it. He says, the most significant breakthrough in the revelation of the love of God, intimacy with the Father I ever experienced came through meditating on the Word of God. And so we desire to stand as convicted disciples who will enjoy communion and intimacy with Jesus himself. That's what we want to commit ourselves to as a church. But in order to be convicted, we need to be equipped and educated with what? with the scriptures. And so we need to be men and women who come before the scriptures and engage with the word of God, allowing this to take root in our minds so that it can infiltrate our hearts and shape our person and character for Christian living. As we fill our hearts and our minds with the word of God, not only will commitment and conviction increase, but a deep and passionate love for the Lord will be produced in our hearts and deeper levels of communion with the Lord will start to take place. Misty Edwards says this, she says, nothing has changed my life like taking up my Bible. These words have changed me, convicted me, confronted me, resisted me, washed me, cleansed me, freed me, empowered me, delivered me, and set me on a course for the rest of my life. 
She goes on to say, the discovery of the life found in God's word is not new discovery, but has been the consistent cry and experience of all of God's people throughout history. We are hearing so much in our day of this new move that will shake nations and bring in the revival, and I want it. I want it too. But I'm truly coming to the conclusion that the only way forward for our generation is to go back, to go way back and discover how our fathers of the faith found him and live accordingly in this hour. What I'm presenting today is not a bunch of new ideas and convictions. I'm saying, let's go back. Let's go way back. Let's discover how the fathers of our faith intended for us as they were empowered by the Spirit, as we are empowered by the Spirit to live out our Christian faith and let's stand convicted and firm in the way of Jesus, not compromising like the rest of the world does. See, at the beginning of human history, in the Garden of Eden, page one of the Bible, God made it pretty clear to Adam and Eve. He said, eat of this tree and live, eat of that tree and die. Simple. His words to Adam and Eve were not suggestions. They were not clever ideas. It was just simply the difference between life and death. When God called Abram to leave his father's house, his life was dependent on how he responded to the Lord. Here in the wilderness, God made it pretty clear to the children of Israel when they were wandering in the desert that the only way to inherit the promises that God had for them was to learn to live, and I quote Deuteronomy chapter 8, by every word that came from the mouth of the Lord. Friends, what we see, and this goes on, the word of God is not casual. The word of God isn't just an opinion. The word of God is truth, and the word of God is everything. So the breakdown of what is considered to be true or truth in modern day society has permeated culture and society on every level. There's these sayings, right? Like, be true to yourself, or you do you, or you define your own truth. Unfortunately, that leads to an empty life of compromise. And as a result of this compromise on a societal level, what has happened is that the that word of God, upheld as truth, has been pushed to the edges of human conviction. And the word of God itself, the Bible, is no longer considered to be ultimate and absolute truth. Truth has become a matter of individual ideology and preference, which is a very dangerous thing. In a general sense, the world no longer considers the Bible to be truth and has asserted our own ideas, opinions, over the desires of God and His plans and purposes. And many of us who are in the church, maybe out of fear of judgment or compromising towards the pill of culture, many people within the global church today who affirm that the Bible, the Word of God, is truth, oftentimes fail to allow the truth of the scriptures to infiltrate and affect our character, our values, and our thoughts, and our actions. And we, as a result, are no longer being changed and shaped and formed by the word of God, and rather are being shaped and formed by the ways of the world and culture. We have an ability to, pra to not practice what we preach, and as a result, the power of Scripture in our own lives and in society at large has diminished or been undermined by our ability to read the Bible and then not live out the truths of Jesus. This is not only a secular or a personal crisis, it's also an eschatological crisis as well, meaning it's a crisis for the global church. 
In many denominations, mainstream denominations around the world, truths that have been upheld for centuries by faithful disciples and believers are now being put into question as the word of God is no longer considered to be absolute truth. Increasingly, in academic and church circles, the Bible is being forced to bend to human desires and individual lifestyle choices and preferences. The secularization of our own culture that we live in is creeping into the church at an ever-increasing rate. Due to the loss of delight in God's word and belief that the Bible is absolute truth, the global church has invented new ways to capture people's attention as attendance and commitment starts to diminish. The power of, God, of the word of God has been replaced by a, by a convenience-driven, seeker-friendly church culture of compromise. The entirety of many people's religious life in the modern day is relegated to a 45-minute service a week, while the other six days, 23 hours, and 15 minutes of the week is tragically disconnected from the ways of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. At its core, this 45 minutes experience of God's kingdom uh, and Christian worship actually ends up worshiping the gods of convenience and self and compromise and preference over Jesus Christ as Lord himself. Many congregations around the world live vicariously through a woman or a man who finds him or herself in the pulpit and individuals no longer feel personally responsible for deepening their relationship with the Father and growing in the knowledge of God's word. The culture of convenience and compromise has produced a generation that is enslaved to the instant gratification of comfort. Welcome to Light Church. We cannot allow ourselves as a community to fall prey to the pressures of culture around us. We need to set culture. We need to set kingdom culture that is rooted and founded in the word of God. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus addresses this in verse 22 where he says, the seed fell among the thorns. And it refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the pressures of culture around us, you name it, choke out the word, making it unfruitful. As a result, we have lost the ability to hear and be convicted and committed and delight in God's word. And we become a community of compromise over a community of conviction. We lose our ability in doing this to hear and delight in the word of God. And we fall into unbelief without even knowing it. Many churches, pastors, and leaders in the Christian community have fallen into this trap of thinking that in order to grow or in order to, you know, fill, put bums in seats, in our churches in order to like raise money and function as a church in modern day society, we need to be so-called relevant in this ever-changing world that we live in. And while I believe that we need to be relevant and we need to uh, you know, meet culture where they're at and draw them through love and sensitivity to the way of Jesus, absolutely, we cannot conform to the world around us. Many churches have fallen into the, this trap that we need to assimilate and compromise our beliefs and commitments to these ancient truths that are found in the scriptures and fall prey to cultural pressures. But in an interesting study done by Glenn Staten, uh, he presents this in his book. He studies church attendance and he looks at growing and diminishing churches around the world. And in his book, The Myth of the Dying Church, because we hear this all around today, right? That the church, the global church, that the numbers are dying, congregations are closing. 
Glenn Stanton writes a book that's called The Myth of the Dying Church and how the subtitle is how Christianity is actually thriving in America and the rest of the world. And he provides data that completely dispels the case that we need to be so-called relevant and compromised in order to continue growing as a church. In fact, he provides a case that the more committed to orthodoxy a church is, the more impact and relevance that community will hold in the modern day. I want to give you six points that he makes uh, on extensive research. He says, liberal churches are hemorrhaging members. Churches that are, that are bailing on Christian orthodoxy, those denying the deity of Christ or rejecting the reality of sin, uh, doubting historical reality of Christ's death and resurrection and embracing uh, you know, all sorts of compromise on every front, they are in drastic freefall in terms of their attendance and commitments. Secondly, biblical churches are holding strong. Churches that are faithfully preaching, teaching, and practicing biblical truths and conservative theology are, are holding stable over all, and most of those churches are growing or even exploding. Church attendance, thirdly, is at an all-time high in our nation. Don't know if you know that. More Americans in raw numbers and percentages of our population attend church today than at any time in America's national history, including the colonial days. Fourthly, more young adults attend biblical faithful churches today than did nearly 50 years ago. According to the best sociological data, the percentage of young adults regularly attending evangelical and non-denominational churches are, have roughly doubled in the last 50 years. Atheism and agnosticism are not growing as widely uh, is communicated in, in global media. And lastly, global church growth or Christian growth is booming. The number of Christians in the world today is larger than at any other time in human history and will continue to increase in the coming decades. We're a part of a growing, booming story when we stay committed to the ways of Jesus and the truth found in the Bible. We do not need to compromise. We do not need to become relevant. We stand firm in the teachings of Jesus found in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah is addressing the Israelite nation. And he accuses the people of Israel during a time of crisis. And, and he says to them that their crisis is not due to the external factors that are going on around them. They were being persecuted. There was war going on. There was economic failings. There was a disaster. The cost of living was going up. To rent a house cost, you know, $4,000, which was a disaster. Oh, wait, that's us. Prophet Jeremiah says the problems of their day are not due to external circumstances, but are due to their lack of delight in God's word. He says, to whom can I speak and give a warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them and they find no pleasure in it. But then several verses later, he calls them back to ancient truths. And he says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroad and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your soul. It's clear from the context of this passage that the ancient paths refer to the simplicity of delighting and rejoicing and being committed to God's word. And what we see all throughout human history in every hour, in every scenario, God is always drawing and inviting and calling his people back to the love of his word. And he calls his people back to silencing the voices of the outside world and culture and invites them to live lives where they cultivate hearing hearts before the Lord. 
And the question we face in this moment of history is how will we find these ancient paths that will lead us into deeper union and communion with the Lord himself? And the answer is found in Jeremiah chapter 16. He gives us two very clear commands. He He calls us to stand and he calls us to ask. Two points. Standing places us in a position of active determination. We stand and we will not be shaken. We stand and we will not compromise. It requires strength to resist the current of the culture that pulls us and the pill of our own internal nature. Asking places us in a position of humility before the Lord, knowing that we actually cannot sustainably stand on our own. It brings us to our knees in prayer and requires us to acknowledge that we will not succeed in and of our own strength. The pill of culture and the pill of my own sinful heart is too tempting for me to do on my own. I need the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit. I need His help. I need to stand, but I also need to ask. And if we stand and ask for uncompromising conviction, many of you are going into the new school year or the new you know, season as, as this kind of September almost like kicks us off into this new season of the new year. Will we start this next season? Will we go into year two as a church where we stand firm, knowing who we are, who we live for, what we believe, and ask for help from the Lord? Because here's the thing. We're told in the scripture that as we stand in conviction to ancient paths, the promise is that we will find rest for our souls. See, this is not to fight And to be on the battlegrounds, this is to receive a peace and a rest in our souls. And that rest described in Jeremiah is not a siesta. It's not just like kind of a break from real life. It's not a vacation in Big Bear. It's a place of peace in the midst of any love life circumstances, including a storm. True peace, friends, is a rare thing. Today, true peace is a rare thing. We are surrounded by hundreds of reasons to be anxious. Our lives are driven by the demands of work and finances and relationships. And when our circumstances momentarily become peaceful or still, we are faced with the own restlessness of our own souls, right? This is why supernatural peace is the greatest need of the hour, I believe. When our souls are at rest, we will be able, like Jesus, to go to sleep in the stern of the boat as the winds and the waves are smashing and the storm is going on around him, if you know that reference. We'll be able to hear God clearly, regardless of the trials and pressures that are in our way, and we will be able to stand in the face of cultural pressures, stand firm, and enjoy communion with Jesus himself. And this is why it is so crucial for us to pursue ancient truths and the ancient paths. God's word, the Bible, is his invitation, friends, to just simply be where he is at. Do you want to be with Jesus? Do you want intimacy with the Lord? Pick up your Bible and enjoy him. Stay committed to these truths. Allow the words of Jesus inspired by the Holy Spirit to shape and form your character and determine your Christian living and practice. Matthew chapter 11, here's what Jesus says. It's the invitation to my favorite scripture in all of of the Bible. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, which is to say my way of teaching, or take the scriptures upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest 
for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, the word, the Bible, contains the very DNA of God himself. What would happen if we began to fill our spirits with the words and the phrases from the scriptures and we allow these words to penetrate not only our minds, but settle into our hearts. Because here's the thing, the word of God, the Bible itself, is meant to go down to the depths of our souls where we can actually feel it burning and then becoming our reality. The word of God, the Bible, is just a means to an end. It's a means to encountering the word made flesh, Jesus himself, and possessing a heart that is inflamed with the love of God. Your Christian life, your walk with Jesus is not academic. Your walk with Jesus is not a fight against culture. Your inheritance and your invitation from the Lord is peace in your soul and a burning desire to be in a place of intimacy with him. I would love it if we were just a room of people whose hearts just burn. Burn with a desire to be in intimacy with Jesus. A heart set on flame, set aflame with the love of God is so much better than anything that this world has to offer you. The end is a confrontation with Jesus Christ himself. The word as a person. He wants to own us, he wants to possess us, and he wants to transform us into the image of Christ. And to have an uncompromising conviction and sustainable commitment to orthodox Christian faith and practice, in order to do that, we need to let the word of God enlighten and awaken us. And so we need the right heart heart posture. Two points in closing. You still with me? The first thing we need to do is slow down and quieten our hearts. Mark Bickle, he's the founder of the, and director of the International House of Prayer. He uses this metaphor of a menu at a restaurant to describe the importance of slowing down and, and, and coming before Jesus with the correct heart posture when we read the word. He says, you can starve to death while reading the menu. Passages of scripture read quickly or in an introductory surface level present us with the menu. The rich food available to those who would drink deeply and, and meditate. Many believers only walk, talk about the menu. Some read it and become connoisseurs of the menu, but few actually eat from the menu. We need to eat. We need to eat this book. Secondly, we need to have the correct heart posture as we read. The Lord shows us in Proverbs chapter 2, and I'm going to invite Grace up to lead us as we close. In, in Proverbs chapter 2, The Lord shows us how we must come before him and receive all that he has for us. He says this, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, listen closely to wisdom and directing your heart to understanding. Furthermore, if you call out to insight and lift your voice to understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand and fear the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. We see two conditions here that help us move from knowledge of God in our our heads into our hearts. The first is receiving and treasuring God's word. The second is seeking and searching for the word as hidden treasure. Receiving Receiving and treasuring God's word describes a heart posture of someone 
who quiets their own soul and sits before the word in meditation and contemplation. Luke chapter 10 illustrates this perfectly for us. If you know the story of Mary and Martha, Martha's running around doing a whole bunch of stuff for Jesus while Mary just sits at his feet and listens to his word. Mary's humble desire just to simply be with Jesus where he's at, to listen and receive, moves Jesus to declare to Mary that she has chosen the one thing necessary in this life. Hans Irvin Balthasar comments on this verse. He says, The attention which Mary gave to Jesus sitting at his feet was by no means a personal indulgence or a pleasant daydreaming. Nor was it a selective groping for those ideas which suited her, which she felt able to translate into reality, let alone pass on to others as her ideas. It was an entirely open-ended readiness for the word, a readiness to participate in it without preferences, without picking and choosing. It was an alert, sober attitude, attentive to the slightest indications, yet ready to embrace the widest panoramas. Many of us need a whole new value system when it comes to approaching God's word. We must learn to hold the word of God as a priceless possession. The second condition found in Proverbs chapter two is seeking and searching for the word. And I love this pursuit. In Song of Solomon chapter three, the poet writes, in my bed at night, I sought the one I love. I sought him but could not find him. I will arise now and go, to, go about the city, through the streets and the plazas. I will seek the one I love. I sought him, but did not find him. The gods who go about the city found me. I asked them, have you seen the one I love? I just passed them when I found the one I love. I held on to him and I would not let him go. This passage gives us the insight and the results of a heart that is rightly postured before the Lord. You see, if we carry our hearts according to the condition of Proverbs chapter two, we will find the one that truly satisfies us and then we will hold on to him through every season of the soul. Many people have experienced beautiful, sweet moments or seasons of communion with the Lord. Maybe you have. Seasons where we grow in leaps and bounds and we feel the intimacy of walking with the Father, tenderness and sensitivity. And we feel God's presence in our lives. But then maybe our seasons change or you know, maybe the old ways of encountering God just seem to be stale or just don't seem to be working anymore for whatever reason. In those moments, if that's you, I just want to encourage you to awaken your spirits, to rise up so that you can re receive fresh revelation. Particularly when our earthly circumstances change or become uncertain. The, the poet says, I held on to him and I would not let him go. Hold on to Jesus, don't let him go. This is the fruit of our heart that is rightly postured before the Lord. If you've been a Christian for a few years and you've enjoyed God's presence in your life during some moment or season, I just wanna tell you that the breakthrough that we received yesterday will eventually lead to complacency if we do not continue to press in and ask for more. We gotta keep seeking. We gotta keep searching. We gotta hold on to him and not let him go. Keep going because treasure awaits. And if all this is just new to you, and you're like, hey, I've never, what you're talking about, that holding on, not letting go, enjoying intimacy with the Lord, conviction and abiding in truth, that's all new, God and his presence. I just wanna invite you to a love relationship with the Bible. It's means to an end and the ends is Jesus. And my encouragement to you would just be seek. 
You've got nothing to lose, really. <laughs> That's the best uh, kind of sales pitch I can give you. You've got nothing to lose, and you've got everything to gain. Just seek. I'm so grateful for what God has done in my own life. I'm so grateful for each moment of encounter and intimate moment with Him. I'm grateful for revelation that has shaped and formed my heart and changed my character. I'm grateful for the moments when my soul feels at peace. But I'm also not content to allow the memories of breakthrough in my past to be the plateau and then demise in my future. So we just gotta be a community who seek the Lord, who hold on to Him, who won't let Him go, committed to orthodox Christian truth that is found in the scriptures and who enjoy intimacy with the Lord, amen? That is who we are, that's like church. Let's stand, we're gonna close in worship this morning. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.